Welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Adjust in your chair. I can't get comfortable. What's going on? I don't know. Some days you just can't. You know what I mean? Are your underwear riding up high? No, it's it's the chair. I've told you about my new expensive underwear, haven't I? Yes, many times. It's crazy. They've been a game changer, bro. Yeah. What do you call them? Sacks. Sacks. Yeah. There's a little pouch. Right. And uh, like at first, I was like, do I you don't... only need a little pouch? Or... No, I know. There's a pouch. <laughs> okay. There's right. a pouch. And yeah. at first, I wasn't sure that I was going to dig them. Yeah. But I'm telling you, they hold you nice they're, and tight they're, they're good yeah they're good no i i'm i'm down i should get some you know from a guy coming from the biggity biggity yo right O-town, you O-town, know what town, i mean yeah yeah yep. uh I, I was a little uh hesitant yeah you know to buy the fancy underwear yeah that's a little fancy for o-town I'm but i you. got him have yeah. you seen my hat it says o-town on it yeah, you like that hat? it's hard not to notice do you like that hat? i, I do i do what? I got you an O-Town oh, hat, bro. I love it. Sweet. We could be the O-Town bros. That's right. There I, you go. The, the, the Wooly family is from Ogden. Yeah, and you got a big yeah. head because you're a doctor, yeah. so you probably have to well, adjust that a little bit. It could be a genetic problem, but yeah. There you go, buddy. All right. Oh, Woo. yeah. O-Town. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, uh, so recovery gives me many blessings and things that I would never have if I didn't get sober. That's true. For example, yeah, I'm at the gym today. Mm-hmm. I'm working on my fitness every day, doing my crunches. Yeah, the phone rings. It's my son. Now, normally, my son doesn't call me in the morning. He's pretty self reliant. Gets himself off to school, and everything's good. So he calls me, and I'm like, "Ooh, it was probably early, right?" Yeah, it was about eight fifteen, if it was eight twenty. Okay, and I was like, "Ooh, I wonder what's going on." So I pick it up. I go, "Hey," he goes, "Hey, Dad." I go, uh, "What's going on, buddy? You okay?" He goes, "Um." Can I use your cologne? And I was like, yeah, bud, use all you want. He's 12, right? Yeah, I go, yeah, yeah, go ahead, feel free. I go, he goes, oh, good, because I already did. I go, "Um, just curious, how how many sprays did you use? And he goes, well, two on my chest and then one on each shoulder. Is that too much? And I was like, (laughs) ah. I was like, hey, let's just go with one and see how that goes. Yeah. You know, but. A little late for today, though. Yeah, but he was like, is that okay? Is that too much? And I was like, oh, nah, that's good, bud. Yeah, yeah. it's silly, it's simple, but because of my sobriety, I get to have those moments. Yeah. I get those authentic moments, right. those interactions with my son. And would I have had those drinking? Maybe, but they wouldn't have meant as much to me. They wouldn't have been as special. Yeah. And it would have been more of, I don't want to say a bother, but when you're an addict, you're focused on one thing and one thing only. Yeah. And so... I wouldn't have given that the time that it deserved. Well, I think you put it really great once where you said you spent a lot of time with your kids, Mm -hmm. but you weren't connected to your kids. I wasn't. And and this is a term that they're using in in recovery all the time now. I wasn't present. Present, right. I wasn't present. And so for so much of my life, I wasn't present. And I can go back and I can look at certain events that I was there. I know because the pictures are out there, but I don't remember yeah. a lot of it. I and, and my dad used to get so mad. He's like, you got all these front row tickets to these great, amazing concerts, and you don't really remember any of them. Right, right. And he goes, it, it baffles me. He goes, you love this game of golf. 
You spend any waking time you can get out here, but yet you don't give it what it deserves because you're busy drinking and messing around. Don't remember the back nine. Don't remember. No, that's when people used to beat me. <laughs> yeah. And bet me because they they knew bet on the, on the back nine. The back nine. I was yeah. yeah. I was gone. Yeah. And so I'm mad at myself and I'm mad at alcohol because it robbed me of a lot of good memories. Definitely. And, Definitely. And, and, and and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes, you know, Facebook will pop up memories. And mm-hmm. it's weird to see it for the first time. But no, I was there because there's the picture. Oh, I get it. You yeah. don't remember. I mean, yeah. I remember bits and pieces of it, but yeah. I... but. Well, you, we've talked about like how those old pictures, you can tell by looking in your eyes, they weren't, you weren't really present. So me and the, me and the lovely Leslie were sitting on the couch the other night and she goes, Hey, I need to borrow your phone. And I was like, cool. So I gave it to her and I hear her chuckling and she's going back and forth and what she's doing. And I, and I know, and because she had to use my phone is my 50th birthday is coming up. That's right. And so she's putting, joining the old man club with yeah, me. Yeah, buddy. And so she was putting together kind of a, a, a reel of photos that they're going to play at the birthday party. Okay. And uh, she was going through them, and then she stopped, and she showed me this picture. And this was me right out of rehab. And I was gaunt. My eyes were sunk in. Uh, you, there was just, there was no life in me. There, I mean, there was, but there wasn't. Right. You know what I mean? There was no joy. Right. There, was, there, was, there was no excitement. Mm-hmm. It was just surviving, and it, it's crazy to think that that was only five years ago. Right, uh, but th- it—I I mean, it, it took my does breath it away. Does it seem like a different lifetime in some ways? It does. Yeah. It seems like a completely different life. And you go back twenty years. I—I I, I can't imagine how I lived like that. I really can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I know I wasn't living, but it, it was—it's insane. So every day I am gifted so many things because of sobriety. Yeah. And that's what brings me to my next conversation I want to have with you before we introduce our guest, Billy. Um, the term alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I struggle with it. Uh, I've had uh, listeners of the podcast uh, reach out to me and they struggle with it. Uh, and if you watch Referring that- Referring to yourself as an alcoholic. I am Casey Scott and I'm an alcoholic. Right. I'll say it because it is true. I have just certain issues with- the stigma, the label, and everything that goes along with it. Right. I respect this disease. I'm afraid of this disease. And I do everything I can never to get myself back in that situation. But I choose to look at the positive and focus on recovery rather than on the past. And, you know, that's what I, I kind of want to do. And so I've got this 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 email that this young lady wrote to me. And um, it, it she goes into great depths about it. And I asked her, it's like, Hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And she goes, I'm not ready yet. I will when I'm ready, but I'm not. And I respect that. But she sent me this text and, and she goes, the term alcoholic and the disease of alcoholism create fear, fear that you'll always crave alcohol for however have to use willpower to resist it. Spend the rest of your life just trying not to drink because our idea of an alcoholic is someone who will struggle with alcohol for the rest of her life, assumes a lifetime label and is stuck in fear. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of good words in there, and there's a, and a lot of good sentiment, and you know, I mean, I stuck in fear. I like I, I like I think I get what she's saying is that the emphasis on the the problem part, yeah, the, the being an alcoholic 
maybe is a motivation based in fear. And maybe in the beginning, that's what a person needs. Yeah. Right. Is a little bit of fear of that disease. And not that we ever want to become complacent, but no. uh, I, I get that point. I get and that so point. that's why we wanted to start this podcast. And that's why I wanted to be so open with my journey and my recovery is to kind of lessen the stigma, let everybody know that recovery is possible and that there's going to be ups and downs along this journey. And I want to invite you along with me for the ride. And so you can see, so maybe next time you come across somebody who's had an alcoholic problem or, or something, you, you might empathize, you might love, you might listen a little longer than just take that hard stance and think that they're bad and evil because they're not. We have shown you over 300 podcasts of people who have done amazing things, mm-hmm. who have also done horrible things. Yeah. And there is life after addiction. Well, and that's why we wanted to call it, we wanted the title, the word recovery in the title of the show, mm-hmm. Project Recovery, is that's what we wanted to emphasize. But you do have to kind of go along with the person and see their entire journey in order to understand and respect where they're at now. Like, if you watch that video that Sturry did with me on Minky, uh, I start the video out saying, I'm Casey Scott, and I'm an alcoholic. And I was a little surprised when I watched the video that that, I mean, I don't know why that surprised me, because you don't typically refer to yourself as an alcoholic. So starting it off that way and knowing you're not deep into 12 steps, um, I was a little surprised. So why did you do it that way? Well, because I needed people to understand the severity of the disease and my problem. And I am an alcoholic. I, I, yeah. but I, am I know so you much, don't deny that. I am, but I am also so much more. Yeah. I'm an eternal optimist, and you've said it many times before. Yeah, definitely. And so I like to you know, emphasize that I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm a boyfriend, I'm a TV reporter, I'm a podcaster, I'm all these other things that I think also identify me. Yes, I am an alcoholic, but that's not what I'm putting my emphasis on. Right. I give it its respect because I do not want to dance with the devil again. And that's what I was doing over and over again. But I do not want to lead with that everywhere I go. It's not, not really your full identity. No. Right. And, and I think some people like this, like the, the texter said, is that she's afraid that that will be her whole identity for the rest of her life. Mm. Yeah, I could see why that, that if that's a, what you felt like your future was bound to be, you might want to have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, they used to say all the time, when maybe they still do, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Yeah, and I think if we really take the disease model of alcoholism seriously, that makes sense. Yeah. That it is it is a biological disease. It is something that's in your body. You have these predispositions and tendencies, and you just can't handle, you know, one drink's too many, a thousand's never enough, like you always say. But the, the negativity that comes with the term alcoholic. So let's try something else on. Yeah. Because I've heard this a couple times, but I don't hear it very often. And that is when a person introduces themselves and they say, I'm a person in recovery. I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Or an alcoholic in recovery, sure. But emphasizing, I like, I like that acknowledgement that you have a problem, that mm-hmm. you're an alcoholic. I also like the emphasis on the recovery part. That's my new identity. So you can't be in recovery without being an addict, yeah, right? right. So it's implied, and so you can say it outright or you can imply it. But I, I like the addition of in recovery. I like it too. Cause it, it shows you where you were and where you're going. Yeah. 
It's, the, it's optimistic, right? Yeah. It's, it's, that's the focus for the future is yeah. recovery. Because if you're in recovery, you're taking care of your disease. I think that's genius. And, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start using that. Yeah. I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Yeah, I've heard it a few times, but not as much as I, I would like to hear it. So maybe you can get it to catch on. I'm, You're I'm, a trendsetter. I'm going to give it a shot. I, you got me wearing an O-Town hat. You're a trendsetter. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, the, 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 the gravelly voice you've been hearing in the background. Yeah, it's our new friend. Vili. How are you, buddy? How's it going, y'all? Vili, uh, what's your last name? Last name is Awalua. Yep. That's what it is. Yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, names are my kryptonite. They are. I yeah. was going to try it, and then I was like, I'm Anderson. just... Anderson. <laughs> if, it was, if it was Smith... <laughs> Maybe. Billy, how long have you been sober? I've been sober for 509 days today. 509 days. He knows it to the day. Congratulations. Thank you, man. Uh, We're going to hear your story and how it all began with Billy coming up. You're listening to Project Recovery. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today is Billy. And Billy, what do you do for a profession? Uh, man, I work at a program right now. I work at a drug and alcohol treatment program. And how long have you been working there? I've been working there for about three months now. All right. Before that, where does the story of Vili begin? I was working more for the jail, really. <laughs> full time? Working up in the kitchen full time most of the time, you know. But where does the story of Vili begin? Like uh, at a young age, where'd you grow up? At a young age, man. I, um, I grew up in Compton. Compton, California. Yeah, Compton, California. Now, uh, I think a lot of us, when we think of the Compton, California, they think of it as a, a hard place to grow up, was it? It was. It was really rough. Uh, had a whole lot of uh, different ways of growing up, like core beliefs that was, uh, lasted all the way to where I'm at right now still, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but life is different down there compared to down here. For sure. And so only child, brothers, sisters? I got six brothers. Um, I'm the middle one. I got a baby sister. Um, and we're doing, all of us is doing good right now. As a young kid growing up in Compton, California with your uh, six brothers, little sister, yep. um, do you remember the first time you tried drugs or alcohol? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, that's the thing about the life down there as well. It, it, you know, um, it's a regular thing. It's a, um, it's a way of life for us to drink and smoke weed down there. Um, I drank and started smoking weed when I was like ten, you know. So it was it was an average thing. Um, went to high school. Everything's still the same for everybody down there. Everybody drinking, you know. It was like a little party going on at eight o'clock every night, man. It's just. Everybody drinking and smoking, and it was a regular basis. You know, it was on a regular basis every day. Let me ask you this. And for the average person, they'd say no, but it had seemed normal to you? Yeah, yeah, it did, because that's the way life is down there. It's a little bit different down here compared to down here. When I had got down here, like, I really got a chance to see that, hey, you know, I had a problem, you know, and out of all that time, I didn't know. Because it was a way of life. So you went through elementary school, junior high, high school, just kind of doing what you thought was normal. Yeah. Never really got in trouble? Uh, all the time. Oh. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Went to the penitentiaries a couple of times, uh, touched some of the big ones. Uh, but 
out of all that time when I was in there, man, it was just I didn't realize uh, the alcohol and 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 um, and um, weed had something to do with it, you know, um, because it was a regular thing for for us. Did you man. think uh, weed and alcohol were drugs? Nah, 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 because because everybody drank, everybody smoked. And, you know, long as we didn't do anything that was hard, like white or heroin, you know, because mm-hmm. it's against our rules down there coming up. You know, we ain't supposed to touch nothing big. So alcohol and weed was our thing, you know, but it always like when I think back on it, man, every every time I went to jail, man, I was always drunk. I was always uh, um, high. You know, when I had when I went to prison, I was always blacked out drunk, you know. Why'd you go to prison? Start by people um like on the street or in their house or both? Uh both. You know, uh, down um down there like the way we get money down there, we wasn't really selling drugs, man. It was just really just uh, you know, sticking them up. Type of stuff. It. Yeah. Straight up. That's what it was. So it seems like your early childhood was uh, gang banging. Wow. Yeah. And that was my whole life. Everybody in my family, everybody I knew, we was just all, you know, I come from a real background of of a whole uh, uh, city of gangbanging people, you know. And that's how we was. That's how I was raised. So, it, you know, you've talked about until you came here, you didn't realize that it wasn't normal. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the, um, did you ever get married? Yeah, I got I got married when I got down here. Okay, so when did you come to Utah? Uh, back in 2014, when I got off, uh, when I when I got off parole for the first time down there, my brother was down here. Um, he had his own scaffolding company, and uh, he was the one that paid for my lawyer the last time because it was it was my um, it was my third strike that they were almost trying to strike me out of. So he was like, "Look, man, I don't want to see my I don't want to see you go to prison for the rest of your life. So give me a chance down here just for a month." So I came down. I didn't like it at first because, you know, life was slow, man. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going back. But when I seen how easy it was to make money down here, I said, you know what? Let me get this another chance because that's how it was. It was like 1980s down here compared to down there. It's interesting, you know, you're talking about because we all have our own experience growing up. Mm -hmm. We think whatever our experience growing up was, that's the norm. That's yeah. what's normal, right? Yeah. And yeah, granted, a lot of people, each community has very similarities. So like, you know, Casey and I both grew up uh, here. O-town. Yeah, in O-Town, <laughs> as our hats say. Morgan in O-Town. But very similar upbringings. You know, like our if we talked about what was normal, it would seem yeah. normal. And so it's interesting, I think, for people who grow up in maybe a place like Utah to hear, and they really need to believe your experience was normal for you yeah. and that was that as a young kid elementary school you start smoking you start drinking it, yeah. there isn't really a thought about that that's a bad thing to do um and the lifestyle of being in the gang and all of that yeah. was pretty normal were there other things like uh what role did school play in your life did did you stay in school very long uh not too much uh the rest of my brothers uh was all uh ball players but um it was kind of harder down there because, you know, people was getting killed and left and right, and all my friends like. Look, I don't, and and 
and if I sound ignorant, I, I, I apologize, and I don't mean to. Um, the stereotype seems to be when you come from somewhere like Compton, California, you've got a couple of choices. You either gangbang or you get into sports and use that as a way out. Yep. I mean, am I wrong? No, nah, you, nah, you're right. And, and so for some who have the athletic ability or the tenacity or whatever it may be, the drive to get in the sports is a way to get out. Or the others go, hey, this is what we do. And you either get on board or you get left behind. Just like that. Just and like so that. it sounded like that, you know, you had some siblings that chose the athletics and you decided to go the gangbanging. Yeah. Yeah. And, um. Uh, that's how it was for uh, for a very long time, man. Until I had to, you know, until I had to sit down and really think about, am I going to spend the rest of my life in prison down there? Uh, were you catching some pretty heavy charges at the time, or was it mostly drunken disorder, burglary, and I mean, which seemed pretty heavy, but well, back in the day, well, at the time, it's just a little bit of both, you know, just going, just going back for scounding type of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, they want to keep. Uh, they want to keep gangsters off the streets, you know, so they keep them on the, as this thing called uh, gang, uh, um, gang files, you know, where they just automatically come and get you if you're not doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. You just throw you right in the pen. Like probation violations mm-hmm. or not doing your community service or whatever it may be. Whatever it is, yeah. They just throw you in. And if they, they had this thing down there where if, even if you smoke weed, well, weed is legal now, right? Mm-hmm. But at this day where you just get caught with any kind of drug, which was weed, right? Mm-hmm. Throw you in there for like 32 months, you know? Wow. And I did three of them just just off of having weed. So it was like I kind of felt like the system was a little bit wrong on that, you know? And maybe it was. Maybe it was. Uh, but you said you came here in 2014. 14. And your sober days only five hundred and nine days, man. So it sounds like you found a way to get in trouble here in the eighties, which we call Utah. I sure did. I sure did. Uh, it was. Uh, I came down here and just started uh, started moving down here, man. Like, cause it was it was one thing I um, that I knew how to do really good, you know, and slinging. Yeah, yeah. Slanging a little bit too uh, too hard, but I knew how to do it to where uh, I had everybody in, you know, in uh, what you call it cahoots with it to where because it ain't nothing for me to pay them a little bit some some off of some extra that I had got just to keep me safe. You mm-hmm. know, everybody played their part, and that's how I kept it for like about five six years. They called me three times. I had three when I had when I got to my third distribution. Uh, Judge Hogan wasn't going for it. You know, they was like, oh, we're going to sit you down. And down here in Utah, if you get caught with your third one, uh, they got this thing called criminal career, and they sit you down for 15. They sit you down. Well, it's 15, but you end up doing 10 years. I ran into a lot of OGs that did 10 years off of it. So I'm trying to dissect this. Yeah. You come down here. Your brothers uh, went athletic route. You went the gang route. Um, you did get an education, but it was education in the streets. That's what it was. And when you came to Utah, you did the thing that you know the best. Yeah. And you brought a little of Compton to Utah. Yeah, I did. And so you start slanging and start dealing. And after the third time, the cops found you with distribution, meaning you were selling to many people. Many people. 
they sit you down and they go, listen, we're not playing this game anymore, so yeah. we're going to give you 15. And you're talking 15 years? 15 years. With the assumption that you're only going to do 10. Yeah. And uh, That's that, a long time. Though, that's right? a long time. <laughs> right? That's a very long time, man. And yeah, yeah. That How was did one it make you feel knowing that that could be you? Um, it was one of them game-changing kind of uh, 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 phases that I went through on that one. Because, um, you know, what came with it was 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 really bad feeling, so bad that I that I had a uh, that I had a nightmare one morning. Right, I woke up, but the nightmare felt so damn real that I was in prison for the rest of my life. Right, and it felt like I was in prison for the rest of my life. So I woke up and I was like, oh man, something got to give. Because when I got married, I love my wife, man, down here. My wife is so. She got my back all the way, and she's a good person. You know, she's a good person down here, and you know she, you know she went to college and stuff like that. So, you know, um, it it is um it's crazy because she'll follow me no matter what because she loved me so much that she'll follow me. To you got shit. yourself a ride or die. Yeah, it, exactly. And it was getting to that point to where both of us was going to the penitentiary straight up. Uh huh. And, and I was like, you know what? Forget this, man. Uh, because I had a buddy that when I was in jail this last time, he said, law of attraction, V, if you kick out all positive, you should be able to get all positive back. Uh-huh. And, and, and then I started seeing it, right? And then I'm like, you know what? Let me give this... Let me let me get this a chance. So they so they got this thing called drug court, right? Yep. We've had many people on the podcast from drug court. Oh man, check it out. <laughs> he got excited. Check it out. Drug court. I mean, did you ever think you'd get excited about court? No, man. That's the crazy <laughs> thing about it, right? The crazy thing about it is that I mean I remember I used to pray hard and I used to pray like if you really up there, please find it in in this judge's heart and soften his heart, man, because I'm going in and they're, and they're about to sit me down, right? And it's my Judge Hogan. Just so happened, my Judge Hogan that was on my regular cases, he's a drug court uh, uh, judge too, right? And mm -hmm. he ended up taking my case. And I didn't know if I was going to get in or not. And it was one of my buddies. He said, go call your LDA and see if you can get in. I said, man, I'm going to the pen, man. I ain't worried about it. He, he said, just go call. It ain't, ain't going to hurt. So I went and called him, and he said, oh, man, you ain't never had a drug court? I said, nah. He said, all right, we're going to screen you. And, man, Judge Hogan heard about it. And he see me because most of my track record down here in Utah is is always on 13 and State. You know what I'm saying? It's always on North Temple or 13 and State. Mm -hmm. All of the dope spots. So they like, all right, you know what? He has a real problem. So, uh, but he was still going to send me to the pen. He um, he was going to send me down. And 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 there's this nice lady named um, named uh, Charity. She was the she uh, she was the LDA for the uh, for the drug court. She she stood up and said, "Your Honor, I think if we give Vili a chance one more time, and then she said, if we give him this one chance, obviously he sold to everybody in Salt Lake. Um, I think he'll be more acid than a cause, you know, uh, um, you know, to the cause than a problem when he get out, and he'll probably do it again." He's like, all right, then, you know what? We're going to give him one more chance. We're going to give him. He said, this your first and last chance. I said, oh. He said, are you willing to do it? I said, yes. Yes, sir. 
But at the same time, that's how I know how strong addiction is. Addiction separate on the side was was something else because I when I had when I went to the program, man, like I still felt like using. Well, I and so I mean I can I I can see it in you, um, you know, and I, me being an addict myself. The judge says, "Hey, you got one more time." Your mind first and last. Yes, yeah, your, yeah. your mind and heart says. Yeah. Your addiction goes. It might not be over. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. That's the way the addict brain does. It's yeah. like we that's we might have another was. run at this, and I, we just got to figure out how to navigate in this world. And that's the thing about addiction is that's how maniacal it is. Finds a yeah, workaround every it time. It does, huh? It is because that's what you're afraid of. You're like, yeah. I'm gonna get this first and last chance because that came out of the judge's mouth, and he yeah. told me if I mess up again, they're sending yeah. me down. Yeah. He goes, but the addict part of me is like, we we might not be done. Okay. <laughs> They'd have messed up and let me up out of here. I said, oh, they did. What's crazy, <laughs> and this is, the, I, I'm excited to talk to you. What's crazy is your prayers were answered, and it you was. didn't realize it. Yep. yep. Your prayers were answered. Yep. The judge had a softened heart. Yep. Charity stood up to you like an angel and yep. gave you what you wanted. They gave it to me. You, you know what I mean? Yep. And you're walking out, and you're like, I can't believe they gave it to me. You asked for it. Yeah, I did so did you end up going into just drug court, or did you go into an inpatient treatment facility? I, um, I went to the inpatient. I went. Um, I went to the inpatient program. Um, what's called it to the Haven, where I work at now. Uh-huh. And um, that's where all the magic happened for me at, because um, it was there that I had really had to sit down and um, really, really listen, because I knew, you know, uh, now that I'm thinking about all the dopamine that used to run through my mind, right? It used to flood it, right? I realized that me thinking that I know a lot, that's where that came from. You know, think I know it all, thinking talking and all this and that, character defects and all this, right? And I realized that that's what it was. So I started um, meditating. I started meditating every morning because I realized that what that did was shut my mind off and gave me a break from, not from anybody, but from myself. Oh, really? You're talking Dr. Matt's love language. <laughs> He's a meditation specialist. Man. He got degrees in it. Oh, I think man. you just you just described it perfectly. It, yeah. it, you take a break from yourself, I, right? I Let that mind yeah. quiet. Isn't that quiet, a special yeah. experience it's when that happens? a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, was, um, it was one of the most magic, uh, um, one of the most amazing thing I could ever do for myself, man, because it really, really helped me to really sit back and really get close to a higher power, because I didn't know him. I tell addicts all the time, you know, who have the victim mentality or whatever it may be, they go, you've got to understand in your life and in your disease, you've been the one constant. Yeah. You know, you've been the one constant. You've always been there. And and you've tried to blame it on this person, that person, this trauma, this whatever. And I'm not saying that those don't have, you know. They have an effect, right? They have skin in the game. You know what I mean? But you, as a person, has been the one constant in this the whole time. (laughs) And if you never take accountability, nothing Mm. will ever change. Right. And, And so you have ownership. And so sometimes to get to that, you need to shut it all down. Shut it off. Shut it off, sit there for a second, and just listen to the guide walk you to it because they really do help, man. One of the coldest, one of the coldest truths I, uh, um, that, I, that I came in, like that I ever faced in my life was someone told me to say, you're going to be an addict for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that hurted me. 
hurting me really bad because I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, what? What you talking about? Maybe five years, maybe six years? They said, no, no, no. It's going to be for the rest of your life. I said, hold, 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 hold up, man. I know people that like, nah. You know people that did it 20 years and then they got close and set that bottle there and the next or or set that pipe there before they knew it, it was in their hand smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to be honest with myself because honesty was where everything, most of the help really came from because I had to be honest with myself before anybody. So when I sat there and just put it all together because I was sitting there thinking uh, um, that I knew it all when I, when when the when the truth was the truth, like I'm an addict for the rest of my life, so I had to respect it. Yep, I had to respect my whole past. I had to respect the addiction because that's what it was. If I didn't, if I didn't respect it, then that means that I wasn't gonna pay no attention to it, and that mug was gonna and and that and that door was gonna fly open for that mug to come right in. Well, the crazy thing about addiction, Billy, is that that door doesn't just fly open; it slowly opens. <laughs> You know what I mean? And you slowly... Sucks you back in. You know, and, and, and there's people out there that... Look, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody their recovery. That have spent 15 years sober and then started drinking like a gentleman or whatever. But that's always in the back of their mind that yeah, they yeah. could be there. Me, myself, I don't want to dance with it because I don't I don't, I don't, I don't have that ability. Yeah. And, and, and my life is so good now that I would never even threaten... Yeah. with that because yeah. there's nothing in a bottle there's nothing in a pipe that would make me forget that what I have now is everything that I've ever wanted mm-hmm. and so I think that's what's crazy and so you go into the haven and okay. you you start doing some self inventory some meditating I did some realizations all that and well well they got these um, they got these meetings that we had to go to right twice a week and uh, um, one of them was called the Fellowship, where me Morgan had met up at. Right now, the now the Fellowship. I love the Fellowship because that's where in these rooms was where I found the strength. Mm-hmm. Right, most of my strength to really ask somebody, man. You know, and, and and it was the people that was in there that made me feel so at home. You know, they didn't they didn't look down on me or nothing. They say, "Hey V, how's it going?" I'm like. I was up? you remember my name. How's it going, bro? And 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 I and I know this works because it be people in there that be scared to talk and that have mental problems, right? And when we say what's up to them and everything, man, they man, they feel at them. They feel so much at home that they like, oh, how's it going, man? They come and make us coffee, man. And, and you and you wouldn't think that he had a um that he was sort of slow a little bit, that he, that he had a little mental problems. Right. And, and but that's how they made me feel when it was time to talk. I get up there and I and I I mean, I remember at the beginning, I just get up there and say some old stupid stuff, man. But, oh, man, I don't like this guy in my programs today. But, you know, it was it's a it's a um, it was sort of a scary thing to do when you get up there and there's like 80 people looking at you, you know, <laughs> but it made me a stronger person and it made me strong enough to ask someone and say, hey, man, because I didn't have the answers. You know, and when and when I had the courage to ask uh, Morgan and um, what's called a Damien, because I got two sponsors, right? Like when I had asked them, I said, hey, man, how can I get my life together? Like how you guys got it together? Because I don't know how to got, you know, I don't know how to do it. But can you guys help me? They say, come on in. We got you, V. I'll tell you what. And, I'm, and this might blow your mind. It might not. But what you're describing is community. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what the opposite of addiction is. It's not abstinence. It's community. Now, here's where I think I'm going to blow your mind. The same community you found in fellowship was the same community you found in gangs. Yeah. And it was acceptance. Acceptance. And it's what you know. Uh, I use this quote with my kids all the time, um, and it's Warren Buffett. And he says, you want me to show you your future? Show me your friends. Yeah. And so what this describes to me and my kids and those in recovery is the community you attract yourself to is what your life's going to look like. And I love what you said about positivity. Uh, I say positivity is a boomerang. Yeah. To get it back, you got to throw it out there. Yeah. And so that's what you are doing. And now you found yourself in a room of like-minded people who want the same thing of you. The great thing about the community that you're a part of now is they understand where you were. And they can help you get there. And so yeah. that's what's so beautiful about recovery. Well, a community like, like that Warren Buffett, you know, quote, you know, show me your future, show me your friends. The idea is that, like, the people we're around, the people we connect with can drag us down or they can elevate us. Lift us up. Right. Yep. And we, had, we were lucky enough to have Morgan on the show. And uh, and he's he's part of that community for you. Yeah, he is. And man. you are and will continue to be part of that community for other people. And I, that that's the opposite of addiction, right there, is connection. And in fact, I would take it even farther and say that's in a way the meaning of life yeah. is being connected with other people that that elevate us and we elevate them. And if that's how you spend your life, isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a beautiful thing. So how are things with the wife now? Oh, man, let me tell you, because um, my wife is in, uh, she's in recovery too now, and uh, we ain't never had a life like this, never. Like, I ain't never had a life like this with me and my wife, with my kids, everybody's coming back. I'm doing so good, man, like, that's what I mean. I'm, I, I, ain't, I ain't never did this good in my life. I never felt so good to help out another person that was stuck in their addiction, in the cycle of addiction. So now you're working at the Haven. At the Haven. And uh, you're a, a tech. Uh, what are you doing there? Um, staff. But I'm about to become a case manager pretty soon. You know, uh, specializing in, uh, you know, people that's, uh, you know, people that was like me that have these core beliefs that stop them from growing, you know, most likely uh, little gangsters, you know. So, Dr. Matt, it's but that's that's beautiful because you know what? <laughs> Little gangsters need to look up to guys like you and realize there is a different way. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you this because, you know, we talked about how him smoking weed and drinking alcohol at 10 was a normal thing. Mm -hmm. And those do become his core beliefs because that's all right. he knows. Yeah. Right. And and so how hard is it to change those core beliefs? I mean, <laughs> you said <laughs> it all right there. That, that part right there was the coldest because I felt that I didn't, um, I felt I was going against myself. I felt that I was going against everything that I knew because it hurting me, right? It, 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 it emotionally hurting me because I felt like- You're telling me my childhood was wrong? Yeah, exactly. You were telling exactly. me that my parents yeah. did me dirty? Yeah, yeah. You're, and, and, and it's not your parents' fault. They probably yeah. were raised the same way in yeah. the same environment, and it's, and it's well, a change. It becomes a sense of who you are. So our personalities, the fancy word is they are egocentric, meaning it feels good to yourself, right? Yeah. 
And until we realize, and when you, you've said it a couple times today, Billy, that it hurt you. Yeah. And when you realize it's ego dystonic, it, that doesn't feel like me anymore. Now you've got that tug of war inside. Is it the old me or is it the new me? Yeah. Do I realize? And what I challenge people to think of is not that when you, when you get to that point and you realize something needs to change, yeah. don't think of yourself as a broken person. Think of yourself as an underdeveloped person. There's Maybe there were values and things you can take from your childhood that were good and positive, yeah. and we need to develop those in a new direction in life. And so if you think in your life, if you think of change as a developmental process, that's positive. We can do that. We can go to the gym and develop our bodies. We can go to school and develop our minds. We can go to meditation and develop our souls. Yeah. We can feel so much better. So I, I challenge people, think in terms of development. Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell on, on your face that's a, a painful process you've gone through, but it's one you look proud to have gone through. Um, if I didn't do it, then uh, um, then I don't know what my purpose here on earth was going to be. Because there's been many times where I felt that I could have bit the dust, but I, but I was still alive. And, and now I see why, because I have a purpose of... Um, Helping people. Helping people. Helping people straight up. That's what it is, you know. Just helping out the next person that was just like me. Help him get out of it. And, you know, that's what it would, you know, that's what it is. Because it's a evolving kind of a state that, was, you know, that you go through. You but probably see people in that painful situation that you used I to do. be in, right? I do. And what's amazing about a guy like you, Billy, is uh, even in Utah, we have, you know, Parts of the state that have gang problems, and you can be a game changer for some of those guys and some of those kids to go in there and go, hey, young blood, I know. Yes. I was there. I've been there. I've done yes. that. You know yeah. what I mean? And I can tell you what it's going to look like on the other end. Either they're going to send you down for 15 or you're going to die. Well, you're going to die. you got two places where to go. You know. Well, let me tell you. So uh, I don't think I've ever said this on the show before. Before I went to graduate school, I was what was called a I, – I was working, living in Provo – just graduated from undergraduate and I was a residential treatment parent and they would send kids that were uh, in gangs. They had been busted and they had a choice. They could, it was like sort of like drug court for kids. They could go live with a residential treatment parent and go to like a special school to get their high school diploma, or they could go to juvenile hall and get locked up and they could make the choice. And so we would have these kids come in and there were a whole bunch of us that were trained to be residential treatment parents. And the best, I, I, I had some good experience. One of those kids I'm still in contact with today. Uh, and, and it was a great experience, but the, be, the best residential treatment parents were people who had been gang members themselves yeah. because they could really talk to those kids in a way and help them understand you're headed down the wrong path. Instead of somebody who hadn't had that experience like me telling them that, they're just saying, oh yeah, of course he thinks that. Yeah. But when you when you speak to those kids, it's gonna be an element of truth that they can't deny. Yeah. And and you you're you're perfectly placed to be able to do some good work that frankly, other people probably can't do. Yeah. And that, that's a special calling, I think. Thank you, brother. So, Billy, what does life look like for you today? Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. I'm about to graduate on Monday, uh, drug court. Uh, about to graduate IOP next week. 
uh, man, I ain't going to have no kind of warrants or anything like that. That's the main thing about it, too. It's a beautiful thing not to look over your shoulders all the time. And um, to take my wife, um, get our own place, man, and, uh, you know, just sit back and eat a bucket of chicken, <laughs> you know. Live the good watch life. Watch some good movies. Or if not, just go camping because I ain't never been camping. I never really did bowling. I want to bowl, you know. <laughs> There's a lot it. of new stuff, you know, that I ain't never did before. But, but you're free to do it now, right? Yeah, right. That, that's what the, I can tell that look on your face is like, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I'm free. Yeah. You're free because you you paid your dues yeah. in court and you're free from your addiction. And now you and your wife can do whatever you want. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm going to throw uh, this out to you. <laughs> and Dr. Matt, you're more than welcome to come. <laughs> you tell me when and where. I'll pay for the lanes. I'll book the lanes. And we'll oh, go right. bowling. Yeah. All right. Man. You know yeah. what I mean? All right. Yeah, I'll oh, go bring I'm the in. ladies and we'll go a bowling right. date, get some pizza and have some fun. All right, let's do it. Hey, congratulations on your sobriety and your journey and your story is amazing. And it's one that's going to help a lot of people out there. Thank you. Bro. And I'm so proud of you. What I don't think a lot of people at home know is that this is the first time you've ever told your story. Yeah. It's my first time. It was kind of spooky, but one thing I know about being scared of, um, of something that you just got to take that leap mm -hmm. and take that leap and just go in it, man. Well, and then I'm, they end up being cool. I'm so proud of you, well, man. Well, we're honored that you'd share your story for the first time with us, and I hope it's the first time of many times because that it's a powerful story. It's my pleasure, bro. Thank you, guys. Uh, and thank you for listening to another episode of Project Recovery. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. What was that word you used? Disco <laughs> tech? <laughs> yeah, disco tech. Yeah. <laughs>